So that's what's quite exciting in the industry. You, you have you know, new players coming in and some of the traditional players trying to reinvent themselves as we speak. So this is all in the public domain, so nothing mm -hmm. confidential. But your Amadeus announced recently that they got a license from the, from the Central Bank of, of Spain you know, to provide financial services because historically they've just been selling technology, software, right, to airlines and agents. So now they're going to be a regulated entity. So that's a, a, a traditional player that is reinventing itself to play a much greater role in payment. You're listening to Leaders in Payments and Fintech, a podcast brought to you by Edgar Dunn & Company, the global payments and fintech consulting firm. Coming to you from the City of London, I'm your host, Martin Kodrish. And in this series, I'm meeting with leaders and practitioners across the industry to find out what it takes to bridge the gap between strategy and execution. My central question is, how can we commercialize and bring the benefits of ever deeper new technology to market in what continues to be a highly regulated industry? If you enjoy these interviews, please do subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or your podcast platform of choice. So enough of the intro, let's get straight into today's episode. So today's guest is EDC Director Pascal Berg. Based out of Paris, Pascal leads our travel practice, which she has been managing for over 20 years. In our conversation, Pascal shares his perspective and views on this complicated yet fascinating area of payments. We talk about the complexity of payment processing along the travel value chain, important trends in travel payments, the impact of the economic downturn on travel providers such as airlines and hotels, the shifting risk appetite of acquiring banks in this space, and the prospect of M&A activity, and a lot besides. It's a really interesting conversation which was actually recorded late last year. So I do hope you enjoy this conversation with Pascal Berg. Hi, Pascal. Thanks for joining us today. How are you? Good, good. Well, thanks for inviting me. Looking forward to it. So today we're talking about travel payments, of course. And I'm looking forward to getting your perspective on what is a fairly complex environment, both for historical reasons, but also due to the double whammy of the pandemic and now an economic downturn. So maybe to begin with, let's hear a bit about you and your background and career journey at EDC. And maybe my background can explain my focus on, on travel. I mean, I feel very much like a you know, citizen of the world. I've lived in, a, in the UK, in Australia, in, in the US, and now in, in France. So hopefully I'll give you not just a, a French perspective, but a global perspective, on a personal level, I'm a very keen cyclist. So again, maybe related to travel and father of two lovely girls and an English wife. So quite international. And, and as you said, I've been you know, with Edgardon for over 20 years, but in four different locations. So it feels like four different jobs and, and been focused on our travel payment practice for, for quite a while. So happy to discuss that with you. Perfect. So how did the travel practice come about? I'm curious myself how that actually started. Well, we, we, we did a project literally 20 years ago for a client that was, you know, payment network focused on, on travel. It's a company called UATP. And, and what we discovered is that really it's a unique combination of this mix between really needing to understand payment, which is its whole ecosystem, its whole set of, you know, economics and, and, and complexities. And then you add on top of that, the, the really complex and fairly unique you know, travel environment. And, and, and you get to something that at least I found intellectually very interesting and for clients, an area where there's plenty of opportunity to you know, save on costs, optimize you know, revenues. We'll talk about cash flow later on. So we, yeah, we got into it about 20 years ago. And after this project for UATP, we then ended up doing work for you know, some of the airlines that were on the board, for some of the you know, acquirers and issuers that are focused on, on travel and then, you know, expanded 
to do work for travel agencies, rail companies, hotel. So it really started very much in the airline sector and then went into all the other parts of, of travel. So it's been keeping us busy for yeah, over 20 years. And what, what do you think about the travel space that sort of kind of sets it apart from perhaps other acceptance side merchants? I mean, we've explored retail side previously on a call with our colleague Mark and from an acceptance point of view, obviously travel is similar, you're, you know, you're accepting payments, but is there something unique about the travel space that requires a, a special touch? Well, there the are many things that are unique about it. If, if I maybe highlight just two or three of them, it's, 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 I think the first one structurally was different is that it's not just a merchant selling to a customer. In many cases, you have intermediaries, you know, so it's, it's one of these industries where the, the producer, the entity that is providing the service, let's say an airline or hotel, can sell directly to the customer, just like a retailer would do. But at the same time, in a lot of cases, they go via intermediaries, you know, travel, you know, travel agencies, whether it's, you know, the Expedia of this world for consumers or, or Carson Wagonly for, or for corporate customers. So that, that really changes the dynamics. And behind that, be, because of these intermediaries, you have a whole infrastructure that is very unique, you know, some barbaric acronyms you may have heard of, like GDSs, uh, BSPs, you know, IATA. So a lot of the software and the processes were, were basically you know, uniquely defined for the airline industry, in some cases, as far back as 1945. I mean, it's, it's, it's quite crazy, right? So some of the organizations like IATA, some other acronyms like ATPCO, a lot of these bodies were created basically after World War II. So it's, it's, it's been very different and complex for, for a long time. Yeah, I was going to say, it's got deep roots, hasn't it? The travel space has been around for, for many, many years. Uh, and to, to some extent, it's extremely mature. And it's great to hear you kind of characterize that in, from a historical point of view. But what about from a geographical point of view? Yeah, the, you, you're right. I think that's the other difference about travel. You know, when you ask what's the difference with other retailers, it's, it's one of the most international industry, right? By definition, if you are, you know, British Airways or KLM or Aka Hotel, most of them, you cover the globe. You know, so in terms of, of payments acceptance, also on the issuing side, it's, 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 it creates some of that complexity because you need to be able to service customers you know, all over the planet. And whether that involves issues around your currency or which partners you use, or of course, regulations. So it's, I mean, you could argue that you know, e-commerce merchants or marketplaces are maybe the same, but that's more recent, right? Again, if you look historically, Airlines has, have had to be international for, you know, for a very long time. And as a piece of trivia, you know, this client I mentioned earlier, UATP, it was in a way the, the first international payment network, and they were set up in 1936. I mean, that tells you how early on the, the airline sector had to become international, you know, and so it's, it's quite incredible. Yeah, and let's explore the different sort of verticals within the travel space. You obviously already mentioned airline. I mean, that's, that's, that's one vertical. We've mentioned hotel. What about any other verticals that uh, we define as being in the travel space that we cover as well, rent, car rentals, et cetera? Yeah, no, you're right. So, so airline is, is, a, is a sector that's pretty concentrated, right? With a few hundred providers, very international, and typically you pay at the time of booking. The hotel sector, even though you, you, you have big brands in, in, in mind, right? Like Hilton, Hyatt, or, or Accor, it's very fragmented. Because a lot of the, the properties, the hotel properties where you're sleeping are typically owned by independent owners. You know, so they may have the brand Hilton, Accor, or, or, or Hyatt, but it's really potentially just a small merchant you know, that, that has the brand, but, but 
but really is so it's really fragmented industry and in most cases you don't pay when you book you tend to pay you know at check-in or check-out so so from a payment perspective that's quite different the rail sector again is very different because rail tends to be very specific to the to the country right there's some countries where you may have just a some kind of monopoly, you know, you have SNCF in France, you have other countries like the UK, where you have, you know, 15, 20 operators. So, you know, rail is, is very country specific. Car rental is yet different again. You're very concentrated with, with only a few, a few brands that we, that we all know. And then the other sector we do a lot of work with is the travel agency sector. And that to make it simple, I mean, you could split it different ways, but the, the two key parts are the, the consumer part when you by leisure and typically use brands like Expedia, you know, eDreams, Last Minute. They really cater mostly for the for consumers and they're called online travel agencies, OTAs. And then you have the agencies that focus on corporate travel. And there you have names like BCD Travel or, or Carson Wagon Lee or Amex that are really there to service corporate buyers. So that's kind of, I think, the main you know, segments in, in travel. So, so as a space, it's obviously made a transformational journey from predominantly being a product being sold offline through a travel agency brick and mortar network to to obviously now being predominantly online or at least equally online how has that overall transformation that journey been i mean has it in terms of complexity i mean has it has it reduced or increased the complexity or what impact has it had i would argue that it's all over the place some players if i if i simplify you know this is oversimplifying but if I simplify, I think the online travel agencies, the you know last minute and Expedia of this world, and and some of the airlines, you know whether it's KLM or others, have done a very good job, right? You go you go on their website, typically have a good customer experience. Potentially, you can choose the currency that you prefer. You can choose the form of payment, whether it's a credit card or or a wallet or or whatever is is relevant, and 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 they really try to optimize the approval rates. And some of these players achieve approval rates above 90%, you know, so they, they, they really optimize it. But it's not always the case. So, you know, it, it's a very card, the card centric in, industry, right? So some uh, of these players I mentioned, some of the airlines, some of them still only accept cards. And, 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 you know, that might be fit for purpose for their market, but it becomes a challenge when you go into some part of Africa or some part of Asia, right? That are maybe less card centric. So the hotel sector is, is, is a sector that I would characterized as be, being a bit behind. I don't know if you tried it yourself, but a lot of hotels, you can still buy only in the currency of the country where the hotel is located, which is really basic, but it doesn't make much sense, right? So if, you, if, if you're a UK consumer and you want to buy a hotel room in Thailand, do you really want to see the price in Thai baht? You might not know what that means to you, right? Or, or do you really want to use a form of payment that's not appropriate for you? So so it's very patchy, but I would say, you know, as I said, some of the airlines, OTAs, more or less leading edge, maybe as good as any e-commerce merchant and, and some other parts, maybe the rail sector, to some extent, car rental and, and hotel a, a bit behind. Okay, great. So let's, let's get into the, a bit more detail around the key trends. I mean, uh, you know, what, what, when you look around the travel space, what are the, some of the more, more exciting developments that you're seeing that are going to have the possibly have the biggest impact on the travel space in sure. the next few years? Really, we, we see four trends you know, when clients ask us. So the, the, the first one is a lot of changes in customer expectations. And when I say customer, I don't mean just the buyer, but also the merchant. You know, merchant is, is a customer, right? They, they also have to decide which form of payment to use, which provider. 
and 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 maybe we can talk about that later on because we really see uh, travel merchants looking at payment much more strategically and 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 really raising the importance of it. So so I think that's big one big trend that I'd like to talk about uh, for a couple of minutes. The second trend is is of course digital innovation, you know, and not just you know, online. So you know whether it's picking up contactless for for face to face, whether it's adopting your wallets and so on. So a lot of activity there. Number three, a lot of regulatory changes. So these are not just regulations in terms of payment regulations like PSD2, is there some changes that are unique to that sector. So for instance, IATA issues resolutions that airlines and travel agents have to be compliant with. And, and that's really impacting you know, the way payment takes place. And then finally, the last trend is, is it's got a lot of new entrants where exits like Wildcard, you know, for instance, was, was a big acquirer in the, in the travel space. So clearly that, that's an exit, but also quite a lot of new entrants. A lot of the payment orchestration platforms are targeting travel because it's very complex, it's very international. Buy now, pay later providers are typically targeting travel because you have a high ticket size. You know, so that's where it make, might make sense to, to, to have. It's a really interesting one, later. isn't it? So I could just perhaps just uh, double click on the BNPL within travel. I mean, do, do you, I know, I know there are some, so there's some momentum there in the market, some players coming in that do you think it's really going to gain some significant traction or what are the, some of the challenges that BNPL perhaps might face? I, th- I think it's very country specific. Last week I, I had a meeting with, with Uplift in the US, but you, know, you can think of other companies, whether it's Affirm or or, or Klarna, others, they are getting traction in travel because, especially in countries like the US, because you, you've got credit bureaus, you can do real-time credit scoring within a few seconds, and 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 you have consumers that might buy a big, you know, a big long-haul ticket to go to Hawaii or, or to Paris. It's going to be one, two, three thousand euro dollars, and 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 it really you know helps with conversion if you can spread that over three, six, 12 months, and potentially that customer might even buy you know, an upgrade or something else. So, mm-hmm. so I think in markets like the US, we, we really see adoption. I think in the other markets in Europe, it's really case by case. You know, fr- France is the opposite. In France, there's no credit bureau. There might be consumer uh, appetite, but it's more challenging to do this kind of fully digital, real-time offer, right? So I think you need to look at it country by country, but it is a hot topic in, in the travel sector for sure. And in in that scenario, BNPL scenario, who's actually taking the risk on the uh, on the transaction? Well, there's some cases is in Latam. There were some airlines that were taking the risk themselves because yeah. they're saying, "Look, you know, if the seat is empty, it's going to be empty anyway. You know, harder to justify that these days where the load factors are very high." So in most cases, it's the it's the an appellator provider that you know, that takes the risk either themselves or they've negotiated a wholesale line of credit with you know with the bank. And, and of course, then there's a cost to the merchant, you know, so that's the decision that the merchant needs to make is, you know, it might be a higher cost of acceptance, especially if it's an interest-free offer for the consumer, but then, you know, they need to weigh that with the potential incremental sales that they're getting out of it. So it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's an equation where some of the projects we're doing are on this kind of, uh, along these lines of, you know, which forms of payment to accept in which country, including the, the buy now, pay later options. I was going to mention the, the the forms of payment. I mean, which which other forms of payments are you seeing that are emerging um, and being adopted? And perhaps you can comment on on op- open banking within the European context or, or more broadly. Well, we we did a study a couple of years ago, just just before COVID, about you know which alternative forms of payment are getting traction in in travel. Of course, the first one by far is you know the the, the one form of payment that's used the most are credit cards, right? So 
for some airlines, regardless. Good reason still, for that, right? I mean, there's good reason why card is exactly. It's with a card, you know, you 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 can do chargebacks. You can you, you might get loyalty points uh, with your co-brand card. You know, you you have this ability to to revolve if it's a real credit card, and 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 also we shouldn't forget. It sounds very basic, but credit cards give you a real-time authorization, right? So so this is for the airline. Mm. It was perfect. You're selling a ticket now. You need to know now if you can, if that customer is good to go because the ticketing needs to happen straight away. So the, this ability to have a real-time authorization is really one of the key functionalities that meant that that credit cards were really fit for purpose. So as I said, for some airlines, credit cards might be 99.9% of volume. For others, it might be as low as you know, 60, 70%, but typically it's the majority, the vast majority. So there's a lot of things that 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 explain the the, the real success and and credit cards will be around trouble for for a very long time if not forever. What's picking up is is wallets, of course. As I said, airlines need to respond to international to local needs across all the markets. So it's a no-brainer that in in China they need to accept AliPay and WeChat Pay, and and that's getting huge traction. Or a lot of airlines accept PayPal as well as an example. Buy now, pay later is getting traction as we talked about. When it comes to account-to-account transfer and open banking, the jury is still out. I'm sure you read press articles and, and pilots, like some airlines are, are piloting, like Emirates, uh, Ayata Pay. Other airlines mentioned that they're very keen to get customers to use account-to-account. But then the question is, do the buyers want to use account-to-account, right? Mm-hmm. If, if they're really comfortable with using their co-brand card, they get low miles, they get the chargeback protection. So I'm not saying it can't happen. But I think the you know it might take longer. It might not be a six months or twelve months topic for for our airlines, but maybe more two to three year kind of time horizon for for that product. Just going back to your first trend that you mentioned, you want to just expand on that point a bit more? Yeah, we just did a joint study with with Ayata where we we went in depth with with airlines across the region to really understand and to try to quantify the impact of payment on the cost side and on the revenue side and. What was really interesting to me is if we had done that study maybe five, seven years ago, I'm sure that the airlines would have only focused on the cost side. You know, they, they looked at payment as a cost of, you know, cost of distribution and what's my cost and, and, and what's, you know, is it 1%, 2%, 3%, whatever. In that survey, what was very clear is that two topics, two other topics are gaining in importance. Number one, the impact on, on the revenue. You know, so they're absolutely convinced. Typically that if you do things like one click or if you accept wallets or if you do dynamic currency conversion, that it's really going to have a positive impact on, on their revenue. Uh, so that's the exciting part. The negative part is they find it hard to quantify. So when we spoke to the airlines, very few of them were able to quantify the impact of payment. So if I have a high conversion rate with my cards, does that translate into incremental revenues or not? Very hard to quantify and, and they haven't got there yet. And the other topic that's getting huge importance is cash flow. And that's because of COVID, right? So I think a lot of travel suppliers assume that their Quora or their three-party scheme would settle them one or two days you know, after the transaction was, was, was purchased. Whereas now they realize that, well, you know, what about if one of these players goes bankrupt? You know, who is on the hook for that? So, so I think the whole discussion around you know, taking risk, who's taking the risk, how, how is it getting... You know, who is putting themselves using what method is gaining a lot of importance. So we see a lot of focus among treasurers and CFOs to look at, you know, do we have the right partners, especially the right acquirers? And do we maybe need to spread our risk by working with more acquirers, 
you know, to make sure that we still optimize our cash flow and and that we don't go into into troubles if there's a you know another episode like like COVID. Hmm, very interesting. Yeah, it'd be great to talk a bit more about you know risk taking and, and the potential impact of the economic downturn on the travel space in a second. But before we do that, I mean, we speak a lot about payments in travel, whether or not you see that. You know what impact fintech has at any kind of fintech startup activity in the travel space that's 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 piqued your attention. No, you're completely right. I think actually a lot of travel merchants are looking at fintech with excitement, you know, to enable either new use cases or new products. So I think one angle where fintech companies are, are impacting already the travel sector is what you mentioned earlier. You know, buy now, pay later. Yeah, Some of it, of yes, is offered by traditional banks or payers, but. A lot of the companies we mentioned, you know, Uplift and Klarna and others, I guess, fit into that, that, that fintech category. The other one is quite a few of the fintechs focus on SMEs and trying to offer uh, cards or bank accounts to SMEs. You know, so in France, there's a company called uh, Conto, for instance, that already has, I believe, over you know, 300,000 SMEs as clients and equip them with, with a card and with a bank account. Now, these are you know, some of the core customers that use hotels and airlines for, for business travel. So depending on you know, what, what card they're using or, or the bank account that they're using, that, that could create opportunities, even maybe co-brand for some of the, you know, the travel players. Some of the other innovation is maybe more around fraud and security. I mean, some of these fintechs are either focused on, on tokenization is, of course, a really hot topic in travel, including network tokenization as a way maybe to improve the approval rate and the whole area of platform uh, payment orchestration platforms. You know, right. some of the early adopters of these payment orchestration platforms have been uh, airlines. You know, the, the the likes of Virgin Atlantic, Ryanair, uh, Avianca. You recently announced that they've chosen a payment orchestration platform fintech to really optimize their approval rate because they are international and and they need to make sure that that the customer's card, if it's a card, is is approved and that it's sent via the best route to get that approval rate and also to get the optimal fees. So mm-hmm. that's just some of the examples where I think fintech really have a, a role to play in the, in the travel sector. Okay, great. So shifting gear and, you know, just on the economic downturn topic, uh, I mean, obviously, you know, the, the travel sectors only just sort of come out of COVID and looking to recover passenger numbers in the airlines space and, and also the hotel space back up to pre-COVID levels are now, now facing another another period of, un- of uncertainty around um, economic recession. It, what's the kind of noise or what are you hearing in, in the travel space in terms of concerns around the next 18 months? That's, that's a great question. And it's, it's, a, it's a really hard one to answer. I spend a lot of time, you know, either because they're clients or, or, or folks we know talking to, you know, hotels, travel agencies, airlines. The, the, the feedback is the same everywhere. But, you know, for the whole summer period, this summer, this this fourth quarter, and all the way into you know January, potentially into February, all the lights all the lights are green. You know the right. the, the, the booking levels are really high, prices are very high. You know there, there's no price elasticity more or less for the first time ever, right? You you know airlines increase prices, hotels increase prices, so and they still sell. Is... Yeah, but they they the customers are still buying. Because there's such an appetite, you know, after COVID. So, so the flights are still full, even though prices are high. The hotel rooms are still full, even though the, the prices are very high. And, and that's until January, February. And that's where the time horizon stops. 
Uh, which is quite typical. I mean, it's not unusual that, you know, in travel, a lot of, you know, especially for flights, people typically book maybe, you know, one, two or three months ahead of time. Quite rarely, you know, I mean, they can, of course, book for next summer, but that's a, that's a long tail. So that's, you know, where the curve is not surprising, but what no one, what, what no one knows is what will happen after January, right? And, yeah. and literally most of the clients I have really, really struggle to develop their budgets for next year. Because it's, it's the message I'm getting is more or less the most challenging year, year ever, 2023, to make forecasts. Because the right. demand is there. There's huge appetite among consumers to, to you know, recover lost time from all the COVID period. So there's still this interest to go out, have fun, go on holidays or meet friends and family. Even on the business side, we see business uh, travel pick up very healthily. But big question mark for next year, because we haven't had such high inflation for a long time. We haven't had a war in Europe for such a long time. So yeah, there's how, so much uncertainty, right? Uh, there's a huge amount of uncertainty, both in economically and politically, like you say, in terms of the what's going globally, not only, not only in, in Europe, but uh, interest rates going up. Obviously, they're going to put the brakes are eventually going to come on. It will have presumably have an impact, but it could be a shallow and shorter recession than expected. So I'm curious, what do you think are the sort of the challenges that the space might 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 be facing in 2023? And 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 then and then second question about you know, leadership in this period. I, I, I love exploring. You know, what leadership, what good leadership means in different different areas of, of the business, the sector, but also different phases of the business cycle. And as we head into a recession, you know, what does good leadership in in the travel space and sector mean or yeah. look like? Do you think? Well, I'll, I'll answer the first question very quickly because it's only to surprise you, and I'll spend more time on the second question. So, the first question, though, it's, it's of course the whole attitude to risk is changing. It's not going to surprise you. That's always the case, right? When there's a recession, there's definitely see banks and other providers get, get much more concerned about, you know, create risk and, and counterparty risk. And, and that's going to impact your know, older players in the, in the travel space because they've suffered so badly from, from COVID. So there's real concerns around bankruptcies. There's real concerns about industries like travel agencies and airlines where the, the margins are really, really thin. So, so, so so that's as, as in any recession, you know, the attitude to risk is, is changing. In terms of leadership, I think, I think that's a very good question. I mean, my personal perspective, whenever I tend to be of the optimistic kind, I really think that when there is a recession, you're much better off taking a counter-cyclical approach if you can afford to, right? So what does that mean? It means that if you're a merchant, like, like a hotel or an airline, I would argue the time is now to get your house in order uh, because we see still a lot of Travel merchants that number one don't have the right foundation. They don't have the they don't have the right data to make decisions, right? So really having data around you know kind of p- people going on your website, your conversion rate. I mean, some of these players don't even monitor very often their approval rate. But what about if it was you know dropping and if you didn't know you know that that would be so so re- really you know number one making sure as a merchant that you have the data that you need to make decisions. Number two making sure that you have an internal team that is skilled, that you can ask consultants like us to come in, but it's like the doctor. You don't want the doctor to leave at home, right? You, you know, would make no sense. You, you want to have a strong internal team that has the payment expertise so that they're ready when, when things you know, improve. And number three, you need to make sure you have the right technology and the right payment partners. So mm. we see quite a lot of hotels, airlines and others doing RFPs right now to select maybe new acquirers or maybe new payment gateways or maybe review their issue relationship. And I think that's the right time to do that now because it takes time to find these partners, sign the contracts, and then be ready in six or 12 months, right? With, with leading edge products. 
So there's an element of sort of recession exit planning, right? So so that you're ready for when when that growth returns with a, and can sort of accelerate into that new period after the recession fades. And I suppose there's also on your on the radar, you need to kind of be aware of opportunities on the marketplace in terms of M and A and acquisition, and presumably that activity will will gain momentum as well during the recession. I mean, there'll be some shakeout. Would you think that's, that, that applies equally in the, in the travel space? Oh, definitely, because if, if you look at the, on the supply side, whether it's the acquirers, the payment gateway providers, or the, or the issuers, you know, some of the multiples have been crazy. So it was too expensive to buy. And some of the incumbents are, let's be honest, sometimes a bit slow you know, to change. And, and one way to improve and change is to buy some you know, innovation, uh, to, you know, either you put that as a separate subsidiary or you try then to merge it internally. But, you know, that, that's why we're still being approached by private equity investors that are still looking at buying now because you could argue that now is the time to buy, you know, when the multiples are a bit more reasonable than they were even six or 12 months ago. And, and the other thing that's be, be fascinating to watch is some of the, let's call them incumbents or traditional players, are also reinventing themselves. So this is all in the public domain, so nothing mm-hmm. confidential, but... Your Amadeus announced recently that they got a license from the from the Central Bank of, of Spain, you know, to 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 provide financial services. You know, more than just because historically they've just been selling technology, software, right, to airlines and agents. So now they're going to be a regulated entity. So that's a, a, a traditional player that is reinventing itself to play a much greater role in payment. The same with UATP. You know, UATP was a payment network for the past you know few years. They in a way are becoming like a PSP by enabling alternative forms of payment like PayPal to be accepted by airlines. I mentioned IATA, you know, they, they have a financial gateway with airlines are doing pilots like IATA Pay. So that's what's quite exciting in the industry. You, you have, you know, new players coming in and some of the traditional players trying to revenge themselves as we speak. And you might, might refer to that as sort of transformational growth as opposed to organic or adjacent growth or core, core business growth. So. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I think that that trans- transformational growth is, is super exciting. I suppose that's maybe my last question around you know the emergence of embedded finance. Obviously, a bit of a buzzword. We hear a lot of it. Do you think? Do you think it applies to the travel space? And do you, have you seen any evidence of, of embedded finance type activity? Yes and no. It's it's always a bit more challenging in the travel space because, as I mentioned, they have their own unique you know software, IT infrastructure, and processes. So as, as much as uh, all of these players realize that they need to provide you know, all the financial services and, and, and credit always comes to mind, you know, self-lending, it's, 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 you know, it's, it's not saying that it won't happen in travel, but the, the barrier to entry is, is uh, the speed to market sometimes is slowed down by this kind of unique infrastructure. So that's something to, to consider. Awesome. Well, thank you very much for your time today, Pascal. Uh, it'd be great if you could just let the listeners know how, how best to contact you. What's the best way of getting, getting in touch with you? Well, I understand that we'll have a brand new website soon with, with exciting new photos and contact details. But the, the best way is, is my email address. So it's pascal.berg.edgarden.com. As you can tell, always excited to talk about your payment trends and opportunities in general and specifically in, in travel. And uh, you're looking forward to getting any, any questions or comments on that in that area. Perfect. Well, thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks a lot, Martin. Thanks for listening. And I hope you enjoyed today's episode. To hear more interviews, please do subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or your podcast platform of choice. It helps and means a lot. Also, I welcome any questions, ideas, or suggestions. So feel free to make contact and say hello. 
reach out to me on LinkedIn or at edgardunn.com. You can send me a message there or you can email me on martin.coderish at edgardunn.com. I look forward to hearing from you and I will see you next time.